Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but, you know, the, the meaning of Thanksgiving, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, everybody sort of understands the idea of being grateful, of just gathering together with family and friends and, and eating, right? I mean, what's better than that, right? And so it's sort of the calm before the holiday storm a little bit, right? Well, we, we rush into the season of, of Christmas where so often the meaning gets drowned out, right? So often Christ gets lost in the busyness and the shopping and the chaos and the gifts. But Thanksgiving comes with no gifts other than our, our, our time with one another, reflection upon who God is and what he's done. And so all people understand everywhere. It's just about gratitude. And we understand in this country the history of Thanksgiving and its origins. And so this morning I want to talk to you about gratitude, about being grateful because practicing gratitude, receiving and expressing God's grace is the foundation for building a deep and meaningful life. I'll say that again. Practicing gratitude, receiving and expressing God's grace is the foundation for a deep and meaningful life. Now, if I would ask you what you are grateful for, I think most people would probably respond the same way. I'm grateful for my, my family, my friends, my home, maybe the ability to make a living. Lots of things. Grateful for this country, you know, grateful maybe for my health, whatever it is. And we ought to be grateful for those things. I certainly don't want to discourage attitudes of gratitude regarding these things. And if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I, I would have said the same thing. Even now, I mean, again, we are all grateful for those things, those blessings. We're all grateful for family, for the friends we have. I'm grateful for a nice home, the ability to enjoy what I do for a living, and so many other blessings in my life. In my life. But I want to share something with you about my journey and about what the Lord showed me about true gratitude. And I want to share with you a quote, and some of you may have heard it, and the quote is by Corrie Ten Boom, and she was a Dutch watchmaker, and her family hid Jewish families during uh, the Nazi occupation, during World War II. And they were all caught, and they were sent to concentration camps. And this is what she said. You may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. <laughs> last week, or I think it was last week, Pastor Jamie talked about what we treasure. And that really gets to the heart about the discussion this morning. All of preaching is really simply bringing people to Jesus. Because all we need Every single human being in this room, every single human being that's ever lived, that ever will live, the longing, the desire, everything we want can be found in Christ. And so I learned about gratitude, not while living in a nice home, with a beautiful wife and kids and a white picket fence and a golden retriever, but in a rehab In Brockton, Massachusetts, after a week in the hospital, 
another week in a detox, with my marriage hanging on by a thread, away from my kids, going from a, a nice house in a cushionette to a dorm room in Brockton with five guys. And, now, you know, I'm like OCD, so I walk in my room, and there's a rug in the middle of the room, and I, that doesn't make sense, and I go to move it, and there's a hole in the floor. So the rug was to not step in the hole. If you've been there now, it's beautiful, but it wasn't beautiful back then. I didn't know what my life was going to look like, and every single day for a very long time, I woke up and I wanted to leave. Every single day I woke up and I didn't want to be where I was, going through what I was going through, and I felt alone, and I was afraid, and it was the worst and the best thing that ever happened to me. I had overdosed and almost died. I was away from my family. It was the beginning of 2007, and it's the hardest place I had ever been in every single way. And I've shared a bit about this moment before. But eight months later, I was praying at the altar. And, and the reason I, I've, I've shared about this before is because, like many of you, my faith journey you know, came with moments of, of decision and moments of indecision and moments of faith and moments of faltering. But if you had to pinpoint, if you had to ask me the one time, the most significant event in my spiritual life, it was this moment. Because like many of us, I thought I was, I thought the process that I was in, it was done. I thought, I got it. I learned my lesson. And so I was praying to the Lord, and I was saying all the right Christian things. You know, I was praying, I was like, Lord, you know, I get it now. I understand. I've learned the lesson you wanted me to learn, and I wasn't a good steward with my family, and I didn't cherish my wife, and I was selfish. And so I, I'm, I'm ready now. The process is over, right? Anybody ever, you know, God's trying to show you a lesson, you, you think you got the lesson? I thought I knew. I didn't, but I would. I would learn the lesson. And so I pleaded with God. Father, just give me my family back. Just put things back the way they were. I'm ready now. Right? I mean, that's what God wants. I'm, I'm ready to be a husband and a father. I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to life. You know, people ask me all, all the time, how long's the program? You know how long the program is? The rest of your life. Because it doesn't matter. I, I like to say we're all addicts because we're all addicted to sin. Amen? We're all in recovery from sin. doesn't matter if it's drugs. doesn't matter if it's something else. And so that process and team challenge or any, it's just a discipleship program. It's just discipleship. And the process is your whole life. And so in this moment, I was praying. I was like, you know, God, I'm ready to go. I've learned my lesson. Just, you know, just, you know, put it all back together and I will serve you every day of my life. And I was sincere, and I thought I made a good case. And I've said before, not audibly, but outside my train of thought, I just heard no. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe you didn't hear me. Let me say that again. Oh, Heavenly Father, you know, try to make it a little more spiritual. Lord, <laughs> I bow down, right? No. No, I, I won't promise you that anything is going to look the way you want it to look or the way that you think it should look. Here's what I promise you. I will never leave you. 
or forsake you. You'll never walk alone. See, we can gain and we can lose things. We can gain and we can lose relationships. We can gain and we can lose our health. But in that moment, I understood. In that moment with the Lord where I was wrestling with God. And he was asking me, no, here's the plan, right? Here's what Christianity is. You give me all of you and you get all of me. And so I I don't know what life's going to look like. But is Jesus enough? And in that moment where I was crying and I was overwhelmed with with uncertainty and fear and I, I just wanted things to go back the way they were, Jesus met me and my brokenness. And I was overwhelmed by his comfort and peace and it's never left me. Doesn't mean I haven't struggled, doesn't mean I haven't wrestled again, but it means that I recognize that me and Jesus, we, we'll go through anything. We'll go through anything. I had come through a season of struggle, and I thought it was coming out of it. I thought it was ready for the next thing, and I thought it was done with the process. And I thought that the answer was that I went back to who I was. And Jesus responded clearly that the answer was he was going to remake me entirely new. See, it was a choice for me. It was life or death. It was stay or go. It was trust him or take back my will. It was finish the race or quit. It was allow God to do what he wanted or try and be my own God again. And there is nothing that I am more grateful for today nor will I ever be than that moment that God met me in my brokenness with his overwhelming grace and mercy and showed me that the greatest treasure of all could never be taken and could never be lost. And it wasn't just his grace and mercy and his forgiveness and his preservation of my life. And it wasn't just in the many blessings, it was in his presence. And in there I was forever changed. See, what he wants from each one of us is our heart. He wants our obedience. We're going to talk about it. He wants our heart. He wants us to get to the end of ourselves. He wants us to recognize, like Corey Ten Boom shared, that all we need is in him. And then you know what? Then the gratitude for all that other stuff, for the blessings, for who he does, it's directed to the right person and it's directed toward the right thing, toward him. And so in that moment, I experienced the peace and comfort that's never left left, and I realized that nobody could take Jesus from me. That no matter what happens, that no no matter what life throws at me, and no matter what life throws at you, that we will always have Jesus. Always. And so this morning, we're going to go deeper together, and we're going to discover what true gratitude really means. Amen? Amen. Take a moment, say hi to somebody near you, and then we'll pray and continue.
Father, we are grateful for this time this morning. God, we are here not because it's our tradition or our habit. We're not here at somebody else's invitation. We're here because you want to speak directly to each of our hearts. And so I pray that you remove the distractions, that you help us to hear the still small voice, that you do what only you can do. God, have your way in every heart in this room. Change us profoundly and forever by your power and your presence in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Doesn't matter what translation you look at. Doesn't matter if you go to the Greek. It doesn't say in most circumstances. It doesn't say in some circumstances. There is no caveat. There is no stipulation. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So people ask, and you've probably wondered, and I've wondered, what's God's will for my life? And sometimes we mean in a, in a different sense or in a grander sense, but I know the foundation, I know what God's will for your life is. Paul just said it. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We know that Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul's in jail. Paul's in jail for doing nothing but what he's supposed to do. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in jail for doing ministry, my thought probably wouldn't have been, how can I encourage the body? Paul uses the word joy or joyful over 16 times in the book of Philippians to encourage the body. Because Paul's not grateful for what, when things turn out the way Paul wants, Paul recognizes the foundation of gratitude. Paul recognizes that he ought to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, verse 19, he writes this to the church in Ephesus. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I love, I love that. And we've said before in Hebrew, the heart isn't, it's not, a, it's not just an organ. It's not just the center of affection. It's not just about feeling. Your heart is the center of who you are. It is everything. It is the core of your being. It involves your decisions and your intellect and your actions and your emotions and your relations. It involves all of you. So as a result of who God is, sing and, and, and make, make noise, make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That same word again, always. The title of the message this morning, always give thanks. Not just when the world looks the way you want it to look. Not just when things turn out the way you want them to turn out. But always, in all situations, in all circumstances, be grateful. Choose gratitude and praise God. We got to choose it. It's a deliberate action. It, it, we have to decide to be grateful. See, a lot of us, we just, everything we do is based on feelings. If we feel this way, we do this. If we feel this way, we, we do that. I don't feel like being grateful. I have a friend, and you know, I love him, and sometimes I ask for advice, and he speaks right directly to my heart. 
I was like, I feel like this, I feel like that, I think this, and I think that. And he goes, who cares what you feel, and who cares what you think? What does God's word say? Maybe you don't feel like being grateful, but if you stop and recognize who God is and what he's done, you can't help but be grateful if you understand that truth. It is the foundation for everything else. Not just when you get the house or the car or the job or the relationship. Not just when your health is good and your belly's full. Not just when things go the way you want them, but always. Because he hasn't left you. And he's not going to leave you. And nothing happens that surprises him. And he is in the midst of it. He is close to the brokenhearted. If we are only grateful when things are good, then our gratitude is not directed toward God, but our own desires. You can quote me on that. I'm going to say it again. If we are only grateful when things are good, if we're only grateful when things look the way we want them to look, then we're not grateful to God. We're grateful to outcomes. We're grateful to our own desires. And we're just like the world. Because the world's grateful for good stuff. And when bad stuff happens, the world's not grateful. You know the greatest thing you can do that brings God such glory and honor is to praise him in the valley. The whole world praises God on the mountaintops. You get the raise, praise the Lord. What about when somebody hits your car? You know, at Teen Challenge, we had a phrase, and, you know, something would happen, and people would see, like, can you praise him now? We had a, a piece of equipment we rented one time, and I was trying to pull it back on a trailer, and I fell down. I was standing on the, on the corner of the equipment, and I fell down, and my knee hit the, the little the ball, you know, the, and I literally saw white. I was, I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I was blinded by pain. And I look over, and some guy goes, can you praise him now? <laughs> I did not want to respond nicely. See, as Christians, we know to whom our gratitude should be directed. And that it should be grounded not just in what God has done, but in who he is. Absolutely be grateful for the blessings in your life. Absolutely recognize they come from him. But what about when it's dark and you're alone and you're afraid? He's there too. In fact, oftentimes that's what he, that's what he needs to get our attention. In Acts 17... Paul's speaking to the intellectuals of his day. It's the Ivy League. It doesn't get better than this. These are the premier thinkers. And all they do is they sit around and they're looking to discover God. They're looking to discover meaning and purpose and value like every human being. What's it all about? What, who is God? And so they're there and they're searching. Nobody better. Nobody smarter. And Paul goes and he stands among them. And in verse 24, Acts 17, he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And then he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Nothing that's happened he was surprised by or he didn't know about. It wasn't outside of his plan. And then in verse 27, Paul says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Paul's going, the God you long to know wants to know you, and he's there. Reach out. Everything that has ever happened in your life, everything that will ever happen in your life, the good and the bad, God is there. And he says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your soul. He's never far from us. And his desire is that we seek him and we find him, that we come to believe. And not just believe a set of facts, not, not just believe certain truths. That's important, it's essential. But believe so that we trust. Trust is, is belief in action, or it's faith in action. It's actively living out that we believe. I've shared before, and some of you, you know, think my wife, she can be tough, but she's right. And so back in my craziness where I was living for me and I was self-centered, I'd say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she'd go, show me. Show me. Because it's easy to say things. We all say we're grateful. We all say we love God. And, I, and I'm going to show you in the text that, that Jesus is going to go, show me. Show me. Gratitude is the foundation for Christian living. Here's what I think is a good definition of gratitude. It's the practice of actively remembering and expressing, or living out. It's the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace and goodness of God. The act of actively remembering and expressing the goodness and grace of God. That's what gratitude is. It's, it's much more than saying thank you. It means we have an understanding of who God is, of what he's done for us in Christ. When we were dead, he gave us life. When we were blind, he gave us sight. When we were in bondage, he set us free. How could we not be grateful? And so maybe you say, Pastor Brian, I understand gratitude. I am grateful to God. I love God. I know God. But loving God and knowing God involves more than just words. It involves more than just a feeling. Jesus says this about our love for God. It's on the evening before his crucifixion. He's teaching his disciples. We take often the humanity out of Jesus' ministry. But he had lived and walked. He had taught. He had, he had friendships. He loved these guys and he had been with them day in and day out for years. And, and he knew what he was about to face. And he knew that they were going to be left alone. And he knew that most of them, they still didn't get it. You know, because we say, well, if I had been there, I would, you know, if I, you know, if I had been there, I would have been different. No, 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 Jesus does stuff in our life we forget. And so he's teaching them. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The unmistakable meaning is that obedience to Christ's commandments is both the sign and the test of our love for him. 
that our obedience to his commandments is both a sign and a test of our love for him. The connection between love for Christ and obedience to him is a recurring theme in the Apostle John's writings. By this, we will know, I'm sorry, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 2, 3, and he says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. In the same upper room discourse, John quotes Jesus saying yet again, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So we hear this and we think, so is Jesus saying, if we love him, there's this list of rules that we, we got to keep. And we, if we love him, we got to keep the rules. And if we mess up or we don't, we don't keep the rules perfectly, we don't, that, that, that means we don't love him. That's not what he's saying. In fact, the word command there, his commands, it means much, much more. It's, it's much broader than the Ten Commandments or a list of do's and don'ts. That word basically means all that Jesus taught and did. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, follow me. See, too often as Christians, we think being a Christian is asking Jesus to follow us. Hey, Jesus, here's what I think I'm going to do. You want to come with me? Because this is, this is the plan. I've thought about it. This is a good idea. So come on. And Jesus is going, that's not how this works. You're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. So this isn't just, you know, do the right stuff because the Pharisees did the right stuff. This is have the right heart. Just saying, if you love me, you'll trust me. And if you trust me, you'll know that I want and I know what's best for you. So you'll live the way I lived and you'll love the way I loved and you'll walk the way I walked. Imperfectly and in my grace and in my mercy, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to, I'm going to build a community of people to walk with you. But make no mistake, he's saying if you really love me, Actions, not just words. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. And I love this phrase, and we will make our home with them, or we will abide in them. Jesus is saying, if you love me, and your desire is to, is to walk with me, is to obey me, is to follow me, I'm going to walk with you. The Father walks with you. The Spirit is with you. We're going to make our home with you. We're going to abide in you. No matter what you go through, no matter how difficult it is, you're going to feel my presence and my strength and my joy and my peace. That's the invitation. The invitation is to a, a, a set of commands that lead to freedom. That's why John says, and, and the commands aren't burdensome. They're not there to hurt you. They're there to help you. And they're not there to just, you know, just blindly obey without any understanding of the heart of it. Because religious people do religious things all the time. And the Pharisees did the right things, the letter of the law, and they missed the spirit and they missed the heart of Christ. Jesus is saying, this is from God. It's his will for our lives. If you believe and you trust, you'll want to live it out. 
If I, if I give my kids, you know, guidelines and I say, this is the way you ought to live, this is the decisions you ought to make, and they make those decisions, I'm happy primarily, not just because they listen to me, I'm happy because I want what's best for them. And the God who created us knows what's best for us. So it's really, it's active faith. It's active trust. Jesus is saying, you say you love me. You say a lot of things. But do you trust me? Do you live for me? Jesus wants our obedience, but the God that created us knows what's best for us, and we don't. Time and time again, our lives prove that. My life proves it. I don't know what's best for me. You can look in the Bible, you can see whether it's the nation of Israel or whether it's just people in the Bible, they don't know what's best for them. Each one of us has seen the result of our own choices in our life. I'm in a group that meets on Tuesday morning. This past week, Pastor Jamie shared about the gospel cycle. And I have a graphic I want to show you to illustrate this. The gospel cycle. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And you see it's believe, repent, and obey. And it's not one time. It's a cycle, and the Holy Spirit's at the center. Because we're not left to figure this out. Believe, repent, and obey. Believe, repent, and obey. So this is what we get to think about. And this is what I want you personally to think about. Believing means both an understanding of who God is and a trusting in that to be true. Believe. Repent means there are things I turn away from, things in my old life, things in my past. I turn away from those things, but I don't just turn away from those. Repenting is not just turning away from those things, it's turning back to God. And when you believe and you repent, you walk in obedience, you follow him. And so you ask yourself, where are you right now? Do you, do you feel like, you know, your, your belief, your faith is, you know, is, is you know, uh, you know kind of shaky and the most beautiful prayers in the Bible, I believe, help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Give me a hunger and thirst for your word and your presence in my life. I believe, but my faith is so frail. Strengthen it. I believe. Help me to trust Help me to live out that belief. And if I do that, then we we say, Lord, look at my life. Show me those things I need to repent of. Show me those things I need to turn away from. And I've said before that our definition, my definition of sin is a cheap substitute for something better God has for you. That's what sin is, always. And if we see it like that, and we recognize that, it loses its appeal. When we say that sin, God has something better. So repent is to turn away from whatever this is and turn to him. You'll never regret that decision, I promise you. And then obey. And then what happens? You mess up. And so we, we mess up and the obey part and the enemy kicks us around and we stay there. We stay there and we, we allow him to beat us up a little bit. And then we look at everybody else and how they seem to have it. And then we, you know, we compare ourselves and, and, and Jesus is going, look, you just believe, trust. Repent, obey, continuously, imperfectly, with my grace and mercy, with my presence with you, with the spirit and the word and the church community. Don't give up. Believe, repent, obey. See, we talked about going deeper, and this is what it looks like. 
See, if we understand who God is and what he's done, we can't help but be grateful. The Bible tells us that God doesn't want sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. He, 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 wants, he delights in our expression. He wants a heart that praises him. Our declared praise and adoration. He wants that to be an overflow, an outward expression of what's in our hearts. Everything, all acts of worship, giving, serving, loving him, it's all a response to that. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. It's that place of what he really wants is you. What he really wants is you to say, God, you can have all of me. Not I'll serve you if you put my life back together. I'll serve you if things look the way I think they should look. But I will serve you because I love you and trust you. And I'm afraid. And I feel like I'm alone. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But I trust you. And I love you. And I humbly come before you and ask for your power and presence in my life. See, by choosing to practice gratitude, we choose to give God back the grace he has freely given to us. We give it back to him, and we live it out with others. The gratitude we're talking about is much more than uttering thank you. It's much more than, Lord, thank you that I got the raise. Thank you that you got me out of trouble. Thank you that you put my life back together. It's thank you that no matter what I go through, you won't leave me and forsake me. I'm never alone. That in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome this world. Gratitude for God's grace is much more than a mere recognition of his grace, but it is a response that intrinsically demands we express our response. There's a news article about a police officer responding to a man. He was on the top of the building and was threatening to jump and commit suicide. And the officers uh, all had arrived on the scene and the man kept uttering as he positioned himself to jump, nobody loves me, nobody cares if I die, and nobody will miss me. And he kept repeating that over and over again. Nobody loves me, and nobody cares if I die and nobody will miss me. And the officers were, were talking, and they, and they were trying to help him, and this one officer said it was this, as if this man's despair was painfully evident, and he just over and over again said that. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares if I die. Nobody will miss me. And the officers were trying to talk him off the ledge, and they recognized that he was going to jump. He was ready to jump. And this one officer just felt in his heart just this, this clear authentic love, and he thought, I love this guy. I love this man. And that's all he could think at that moment. I care about this man. And as the man continued to vocalize his brokenness, the officer gently stated, don't jump. I love you. You are not alone. You are loved. 
And he looked at the man's eyes and he repeated over and over again, don't jump. I love you. You are not alone and you are loved. Don't jump. I love you. You are not alone and you are loved. The surrounding officers testified these words brought the man out of his trance of despair. And as the officer continued to tell the stranger on his ledge, on the ledge that he loved him, the man climbed off the ledge, fell into the officer's arms sobbing. And the officers held him and embraced him and continued to repeat that I loved him. If you go on online and you, and you listen to the audio, you can hear him telling this man this. See, church, that's what we're called to do. Because we encounter people every day that rather than feel gratitude, they feel despair. Rather than feel hope, they feel all alone. And they need somebody to look at them and say, you're not alone. You're not alone. I love you. I mean, what, isn't that what God does to us in our brokenness? It's what we're called to do. We say around here all the time, we're called to love people back to life. Every day. Not just when it's convenient. We don't just invite them to church so somebody else can love them back to life. We don't cross on the other side of the road because we're in a hurry and we're too busy with our own pursuits and then say we're grateful. I'm grateful for the hope I have in Jesus. I'll pray for you. You can say, well, I, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm not trained. I don't. You got the love of God in your heart. The only hope the world has ever known. And that's what people need. The express love of God. It's an overflow of gratitude. People need to hear you say to them, you're not alone. I love you. We can say that we're grateful, but a grateful heart will produce a life for God. And perspective is everything. And so how you look at things determines your attitude. Gratitude changes our attitude. Belief includes knowing certain truths about God. It is important to understand truthfully and to know who he is. But it doesn't end there. Belief in action is trust. And here's the thing. Saving faith involves more than just a change of mind. It does involve a change of mind, but it involves a change of mind that produces a change of heart, that produces a change of life. That's saving faith involves a change of mind that produces a change in heart, that produces a change in life. Is the word for you in Greek, metanoia. Metanoia, it means a transformative change of the heart. It means to repent. But it doesn't just mean to turn away from all the bad stuff. It means to turn back to God. It means a change of heart that's produced in such a way that you turn back to God. And so where are you right now? Do you need to believe? Repent? Obey? When you disobey, are you quick to repent and trust him again? Do you just sort of stay out there? Beating yourself up, letting the enemy beat you up. I'm very blessed. You know, I have a good life. And in the past, I've taken a lot of things for granted. We said a few weeks ago, I've been an Eileen, right? I've leaned on my own understanding. 
I lean on my own understanding instead of taking the advice in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, and here's this word again, with all your heart. Trust, live out your faith. With every part of who you are, trust him. From a grateful heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. When we consider gratitude, remember. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember when he walked with you. Remember when he saved you. You know, people, I've had, actually not long ago, somebody said, yeah, you know, sometimes, I mean, I like church and stuff, but sometimes, you know, Christians are a little over the top. I don't even know what that means. Like, I mean, I kind of do, but like, can you love Jesus too much? Like, I don't think so. And I was like, you weren't there when he saved me. You don't know what he saved me from. You can't understand the gratitude. You look at my life now and you think you know, but you don't know. You weren't there when he saved me. I can't love Jesus too much. I, I wish I could overdo it. I'm glad if you look at me and you think I'm overdoing it. I, I mean, I want to overdo it more then. The little ritual tucked in the middle of the Passover. And it's, if you're not familiar with Jewish tradition, it can go overlooked. We can, we can miss the meaning. Before Passover night, the Lord gave very precise, precise instructions to the Israelites regarding the actual Passover event, how they were to do everything, when they were to do everything, how they were to leave Egypt, what were the rituals and practices of the tradition for generations to come. After directing the Israelites in the events of Passover night, Moses then informs the Israelites they're going to practice a feast, a Passover feast, as a ritual for all the generations. They'll continue to do this over and over and over again, the pattern. Speaking on behalf of God, Moses says, you must keep this command as a law for you and your descendants from now on. Do this when you go to the land the Lord has promised you. When your children ask you, why are we doing these things? You will say, this is the Passover sacrifice to honor the Lord. When we were in Egypt, the Lord passed over the houses of Israel. And when he killed the Egyptians, he saved our homes. Then the people bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Because God knows humans can be forgetful. So God says, you need to do this. And you need to keep doing it. And when your kids say, why do you do this? You can say, because God saved me. And I don't want to forget that God saved me. I want to remember. Because he knows that nations and people commonly make the same mistakes because they forget their history. And so we walk with God. God, are you going to be with me? I feel like you're not here. And he's like, I never left you. God knew if he did not set future practices in place to help the Israelites remember their salvation from Egypt, they would eventually forget his extravagant act of grace, that the significant event would be lost on the people, that their lack of remembrance would lead to a lack of gratitude, and that their lack of gratitude would lead to hardened hearts, that the people would simply forget what God had done and who he is. If you're here, there's a good chance it's because God's worked in your life. He's working in your life. And it's so easy for us to forget. And so God instituted this. So every single time, every single generation will remember the goodness of God. 
will remember what he did to set his people free and that their hearts would not grow hard, that they would not forget the Lord's salvation, that they would not once again end up as slaves, that they would not fall back to their own ways. So when the children would say, why do we practice the Passover? God wanted adults to respond by saying, we remember the Passover with gratitude for our salvation. This is true in our lives. If we want to live as God's people and not fall back into our old lives of selfishness and bondage, like the Israelites, we need constant reminders of God's grace in our life. That's why I go back to that moment. That moment when I didn't have anything guaranteed. I didn't know if my marriage was going to last. I didn't know if I was going to have a job again. I didn't know if my kids were going to talk to me. I didn't know how anything was going to look. And God said, well, will you follow me now? And I said, yes. And for the first time in my life, and it's not like I did that and now I never have to do it again, but I, I go back to that moment, that moment of remembrance where I met God, where he met me with his grace and mercy, with his peace and comfort, and he said, everything you want is in me and everything else is gravy. All the other blessings, all the other things. Thank you, Jesus, for those things. You know, in the book of Job, when he goes through all the struggles and all the, all the trials, and even his wife, you know, you think at least she's going to stick with him. And he goes, you, you know, you're still doing that? Just, will you just curse God and die? He's like, hey, thanks, honey. That's not very encouraging. The blessing in, in Job is, is that after Job wrestles with God, that in the end, it's not that he gets double his stuff back. He didn't care. It's that the presence of God was there. Is that he learned to trust God even in the midst of uncertainty. And I believe if we can praise God in the valleys, that brings him honor. See, the Passover is more than just a ritual. It's a practice of gratitude. Remember when God saved you. The richest person is not the one with the most stuff, the biggest portfolio. It's the one who knows the love and mercy of God. It's the one who's surrounded by his people. Invite the worship team to come up. It's not simply saying we're grateful that makes it true. It's not just telling everyone we're grateful that makes it true. It's not even about perfectly understanding gratitude that makes it true. It's about living out the calling. Gratitude to God is manifest in living it out. Believe, repent, obey. Together, in this community, centered on the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, live it out. The Christian life becomes real to us as we live it out in the daily tasks, in the trenches, in the trials, when Jesus walks with us, when Jesus has people walk with us, and he comes alongside us and we all walk together. If, if we even slightly understand what was done on the cross, we should be both undone by our own sin and overwhelmed and amazed by our great Savior. And the gratitude that that produces, the kind of gratitude that cannot help but propel us into this journey of living by faith because man will let you down. People have let you down. They'll let you down. I'll let you down. The pastors will let you down. But Jesus won't let you down. And this life, this best possible life, 
is not for the faint of heart. It is often scary, but it is utterly incomparable. Most of the time it looks nothing like you think, but it's better than you hoped. And it's not like the, the, some preachers will tell you, you believe it's like the Napoleon Dynamite Jesus, you know, believe in Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's not that, it's better than that. See, believe in him, give your life to him and all his dreams for your life will come true. And his dreams are bigger and better than your dreams for your life. You're here this morning because God wants your heart. He wants you to realize that Jesus is all you need. And my, I pray. You know, and people ask me all the time, pray that the situation turns out this way. Pray that, the, and I'll say, let, let me be clear. The only prayer I'll pray is that God does whatever he needs to do in your life to bring you to the end of yourself. So you recognize him standing there with the invitation, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I've said before, we want to be a place where people feel loved enough to stay, but challenged enough to grow. Loved enough to stay, but challenged enough to grow. Because God loves you right where you are, right now. Whatever you're going through, he loves you. But he loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you right where you are right now. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. Why don't we stand as we get ready to close in worship and I read this. So I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Being grateful means that together, church, we choose life by loving the Lord our God, by turning from our sin and back to Him, by trusting in Him and obeying His voice, by holding fast to Him as He holds fast to us, by keeping his prom by, as he keeps his promise and holds us by loving others and sharing the hope we have. I love you. You are not alone.